we are like mid-season, which is great because like next week we won't have an episode. That's right, because Allie will be in Wyoming. At a wedding. Slash Montana. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) The two go hand in hand. Yeah. (laughs) They're like next door neighbors. Um, They're like fraternal twins. Could I go to Idaho? Could I? I could. But But you won't. I won't. (laughs) I I don't have time to go visit who's out there, Tess. I don't have time to visit Tess and I. Also, those states are pretty big. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, we don't want to visit her. (laughs) She will kill you if you step foot on her lawn. Driveway. Um, Her driveway, sorry. (laughs) Um, but, But yeah, I feel like those states are so big, but like, Everything cool in Montana and Wyoming is like, they're like right on the border. Yeah, they're like right next to each other. (laughs) Again, they're like fraternal twins. Uh You're getting the best of both worlds. All the worlds. All the worlds. (laughs) (laughs) But we, um, we're, so we won't have a regular season episode Mm -hmm. next week. So we're going to put out some awesome interviews that we've been doing lately. And you Mm -hmm. can kind of have some time to catch up on some of those. Yeah. Catch up on the interviews, catch up on some older episodes if you haven't gotten the chance. Um, and if you have any recommendations for like what we should do and you know, like the next time we go on vacation or something, if you're like, Hey, I would love you to post a season one episode because they're not available on Apple podcasts anymore. (laughs) Right. Like it's summertime. The living's easy. And there's going to be some weeks when we're not around. Yeah. And people are like, you haven't covered Ada Lovelace. And we're like, actually we have in like episode two. Yeah. (laughs) But we're not here to talk about Wyoming or Montana or Mm -hmm. Carol King. We already did that. We did. We're here to talk about history. On the rocks. With Katie. And Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. We talk about good women and bad Bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But keep in mind, we are drinking the entire time. <laughs> and we are not historians. Ooh, that we, is very important. We know. barely know our alphabet. Yeah. Like every week we're like, what are the next two letters? <laughs> I know. At some point I mentioned like the Battle of Hurt. Hutberg in Germany during World War II and I was like I've never heard of that battle but apparently it was one of the worst <laughs> I don't even know about it so uh, with that being said just keep that in mind and if you're like hey he didn't get that letter during this time period he got it in that time period just <laughs> fix our facts just fix the facts because we are lightly grazing the internet on these very famous people and we will tell <laughs> we'll tell everybody that oh. we were wrong oh we don't care <laughs> absolutely no shame here <laughs> Um, but while we're doing this, you are out in your back road and you are trying to get rid of a pest infestation. Oh my God. I've had like aphids on my flowers and I'm furious. They're ruining my zinnias. So (laughs) the leaves just taste so good. So we, you are doing that. You're debugging your garden right now because it's high time to do that. Uh, so you don't want to look at your phone because you have poison all over your hands yeah and, <laughs> and i'm gonna spider might jump at you yeah absolutely you Attack. To, all hands all hands on deck yeah. literally um so while we're telling our stories you might be thinking what do these women look like and you don't want to google them because again you have poison on your hands so we're gonna just take that off your hands we're gonna describe them for you mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a roundabout way to say let's get physical physical Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? I am doing the blondest bombshell of them all, Pamela Anderson. Mm. Mm. I'm so excited. She is 5'7", with an hourglass figure measuring 39, 26, 
34. She has a, or did have, a 34 double D and bleach blonde hair that falls to about her collarbone. She has a big, beautiful smile and small eyes that often look even smaller because she loves to line her upper and lower lid with black liner. (laughs) Um... Over her extensive career, she has been seen wearing everything from just the fanciest ball gowns to absolutely nothing. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the thing that she is most famous for is her one piece red bathing suit carrying a buoy (laughs) running down the beach in like 1994 slow-mo. An icon with full makeup jumping into the ocean. (laughs) Full makeup. A true, <laughs> a true icon. No tan either. No. <laughs> I'm a lifeguard, but have no tan. She's got that zinc. The zinc oxide mm-hmm. all over her. Was it you who was telling me that they're struggling to find lifeguards? Yes, they are. So guys, if you are looking for a summer job, go be a lifeguard because one of the problems is a lot of the public pools in like hot city areas yeah. are like not able to open. I read an article that teachers are doing it. <gasps> teachers are jumping on board. That. Uh, me too. Didn't Claire do that? Yeah. Okay. That's uh-huh. what I thought. That's what she I was thought. a lifeguard and then like managed a pool. That's so Because my best friend's amazing. <laughs> but she had to deal with the board. <laughs> the board of the pool the diving board no like the board of the pool and they were like we don't like the ph level to be this we oh like it to be that and she was like this is the worst i would pull my hair out yeah exactly um, <laughs> pull right. p-o-o-l my hair out <laughs> okay Perfect. who are you doing and what does she look like i am doing una o'neill the it girl of the 40s i don't know who this person is una was a gorgeous girl with very glossy dark hair parted to the side it typically had like some kind of curl to it but one of in one of my favorite photos of her her hair is like actually kind of wispy for the time it looks very modern it's in these big waves with bangs and i'm going to show ali right now i was about to look up the pictures isn't that gorgeous she kind of looks like monica Lewinsky to me she's she looks so modern i know this is the 40s huh she was about 5'5 five, five with a nice figure. She had an oval face, these big white teeth, often paired with dark red lipstick. Big eyebrows, too. Big eyebrows and just like these very high cheekbones. And she was just beautiful. Una was the kind of gal that you would fall in love with as soon as you met her, which many men did. <laughs> Uh-oh. All right. Is this our sexy chick app? Uh, yeah. Is this our hot girl summer? This is hot girl summer episode, <laughs> which is perfect because when it, when this comes out, everyone will be getting out of school. So this is the perfect time to air this episode. Yeah, yeah. And we, we absolutely need a picture of us today because we're wearing identical outfits (laughs) that's what we need we're in the uniform we're in the white girl brown hair uniform okay so what do you know about una o'neill i don't know anything about her (laughs) i know that when you said her name i was like april o'neill because like ninja turtles um o'neill is an irish name um you said she's like the it girl and she's a hottie hottie of the 1940s 40s, mm-hmm. which I feel like is a like a, a similar time to like right before the Marilyn Monroe mm-hmm. like hit it big. So yeah. I'm very interested to learn 
she looks like an East Coaster to me. Yeah, she is for okay. sure. Yeah, yeah, like she didn't look like somebody who yeah. would be a Midwest girl or like a no. West Coast girl. But I don't know anything about her or Perfect. her life. Um, I really want to know who Excellent. was falling in love with her and why. Okay. Well, I also, so it's funny you say East Coast because she's very, very East Coast. Mm-hmm. And that was why I based this cocktail we're about to drink. I almost forgot to even talk about it. Oh my it. God, me too. Same um, I based it on a cocktail from my speakeasy book called High Society Dame. <laughs> so this is called the Fulcrum. It is two ounces of gin, one ounce of slow gin, dry, an ounce of dry vermouth, orange bitters, and then you put lime zest over top, and then you garnish it with a sprig of lavender. Ugh. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, that's really good. Mm. It's kind of bitter. Yeah. Which slow gin is often too sweet, so I really mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. It's this nice. smell, the aroma, is really nice. Like when you go in for a sip, it yeah. smells like lavender and mm-hmm. lime. Mm. Yeah, and it's, it's like a really bright like pinkish red it's um very out of control draw me a bubble bath <laughs> i'm gonna drink this no i also it's funny i'm also trying to make my cocktail red ish because of the bathing suit so we're having a very similar oh, week this is gonna gosh. be perfect yes did this girl wear a red lip yes like okay. a dark as much as i can tell it looks like a dark red lip because of black and white pictures black and okay, white okay. but it looked like yeah like she seems the type who would have a deep red lip yeah Totally. To, to pair with her beautifulness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, are we going to leave tonight wanting to die? Yes. <laughs> we're not absolutely. as pretty. As, why weren't we born this pretty? <laughs> Somebody tell me. All right. So let's get into it. Mm-hmm. I want to credit uh, Wikipedia and the Thread Podcast. So the Thread Podcast is a podcast I listened to a couple years ago. They do a really interesting thing where they take two people very far away in history and draw a thread between them. And she is the center of this particular season of the thread. So it's very interesting. So I'll get into all of it, but, <laughs> but other than that, there really isn't much on her. Cause as I was telling Allie earlier, someone said in this podcast, actually, they're like, Una O'Neill is the center of a bunch of famous men. They said she's in the center of, she's in between two postage stamps, like men who would be famous enough to be on postage stamps. She's in between them and influencing them. So she's the common denominator. Or the fulcrum. The fulcrum (laughs) point. Fine. I'll say common denominator. You can say fulcrum. So let's get into this person. (laughs) Una O'Neill was born on May 14th, 1925 in Bermuda. Her mother, Agnes Bolton, was a British writer for pulp magazines, but was overshadowed by her husband, Eugene O'Neill, the famous playwright. So in Bermuda, was it an American colony at that point? I have no idea. But they had a nice house there. Okay. (laughs) Um, Eugene made it big with his first play, Beyond the Horizon, which won a Pulitzer Prize. So he jumps on the scene very, very strong. And people are like, he's a wonderkind. He's so smart. He's the best writer in America. Um, But we might know his play, The Iceman Cometh. Even Mm. if you've never seen it, you know the name. Um, So Eugene O'Neill knew that he wanted to be a famous writer, I think his whole life, from what I understand. But Eugene also knew that he was going to be a bad father. (laughs) He never actually wanted to have kids. 
And he famously said the only thing that could make having a child bearable is if it were a girl and if she were pretty. Well, he definitely got his his wish with Una. Uh, she did have an older brother named Shane, who I guess he really didn't care for. Uh, and she did have some half-siblings from both of her parents' first marriages. She spent her childhood living mainly on the East Coast, but when it got too cold, the family would relocate to their house in Bermuda. So if you missed it, they're very, very wealthy. <laughs> they're, they're fine. I mean, they're, they're... <laughs> you can still see pictures of their house in Bermuda. It is gorgeous. And if you look up a picture of her parents, it's them with like Shane as a baby. And they're like at this full dining room table out on the beach. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. It's like, is it like wooden? Like a, oh, yes. a classic full wooden dining, wooden dining table. <laughs> like the head and the foot of the table have arm rests. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Sure. I love that. But like, I'm probably overselling this photo. Uh, but no, like many. That's it. It's imprinted in my brain now. <laughs> Candelabras blowing in the wind. They actually had a full a chandelier, chandelier, but it was held by drones. <laughs> what? <laughs> From the 1940s. Fun fact, Una invented the drone. I um, knew it. Her and Hedy Lamar together <laughs> in 1940s. They're unstoppable. We <laughs> um, beauties and the drone. <laughs> But like many famous writers, Eugene O'Neill had a bit of a problem with, with drinking. Alcohol. Oh, same. It caused a strain on his marriage with Agnes and, of course, his relationship with his children, which was made much worse after it was discovered that he was having an affair with an actress named Carlotta Monterey. So Agnes was like, I'm not having this. And she goes to Reno, Nevada herself and gets a divorce from Eugene in 1929 when Una was four years old. Because, Is that the only place you're allowed to get a divorce? Yes. What? So it was the only place that women could go and get their own divorce without their husband's like permission. I fucking love Nevada, um, man. Yeah, which is actually why kind of like Reno and Las Vegas got their kind of marriage, uh, what do you call them? Like, ugh. Licenses? Vibes? Vibes. I'm going to say vibes. Marriage vibes. (laughs) Like, that's where you go to get married. Yeah. Because that was actually a plot of a, you mentioned Marilyn Monroe, one of her early movies. It's like, she had to go to Nevada. Actually, I think she did that in real life, maybe. But Mm. you had to be a resident. And to be a resident, you had to live there for at least two weeks. So that was why Reno is like Long commitment. (laughs) Reno is full of like these little motels. Because people would go there and stay for two weeks, get divorced, and then be able to, and then leave. But you had to be a two-week resident, at least I think it was two weeks of Reno, Nevada. We should do a whole episode on that because it is fascinating. Honestly, the same Elvis that did mine and Jake's, like, renewal of vows, I've seen in so many people's pictures, even, like, famous people. <laughs> like, those chapels in Vegas are used by, like, everyone. Yeah. Well, and apparently they might be going away. Did you hear this? Sorry, no. this is a big side tangent, everyone. Who but cares? Yeah, Elvis's estate now wants people to license his image from them in order to perform marriages, which a lot of people are worried will like run these smaller chapels out of business because they're like, we can't afford to pay you guys money just, just say to they're put di- in a leisure suit and just like say they're glasses. disco L or whatever. Right. Like make disco up a stew. Name. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, disco stews during weddings now. So anyways, yeah. Oh my God. Facts. So goes to Reno, gets her divorce. And then after this, His presence was very sporadic in her life. Una was devastated. She is a very typical daddy's girl and took his abandonment very hard. Is she like preteen? No, she was only four when this happened. (gasps) Yeah. So she's four years old when this happens and it just kind of wrecks 
her life. And then it almost was made worse by his attempts to still be in her life. He would write her these loving letters and say, don't forget me. I miss you so much and I love you so much. And then she'd be like, great, well, can I come see you? He'd be like, well, now's not a good time. And it was always pushed, and there was always an excuse. And then sometimes there was just straight-up silence from her father. She just had a hard time connecting his obvious absence and his doting words from his letters. I mean, there was a time period he did not see her for eight years. Eight years. I mean, that's like the majority of your, like... Adolescence. Yeah, exactly. That's a good word for it. And then he just stopped writing her. So then it was just like radio silence. Like, peace, dad. Her mother was obviously more present physically, but emotionally, she was also rather distant. She had her own writing career that she was focused on, so Una was kind of left to her own devices. The only thing Agnes seemed to care about was where Una went to school. And it was always somewhere else. (laughs) She and her mother and her brother did settle in West Point, Pleasant, New Jersey, but Una went to school all over the place. She went to a Catholic convent school for a bit, but that didn't really fit. Then she went to Ocean Road Public School in New Jersey for some time. But then when she was 13 years old, she was sent to one of the top boarding schools in the U.S. as part of Eugene and Agnes's divorce settlement. Like, they both agreed, like, no matter what happens between us, they're getting sent to the top boarding schools. Um, so 1938, she's sent to study at the Warrington Country School in Virginia. But after a year there, Agnes was like, this isn't satisfactory. I don't like this. <laughs> don't know why. So then Una finally found her forever school home at Brearley School, which is located on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Oh, Stop. And it was here where she became good friends with Carol Marcus and another little lady called Gloria Vanderbilt. And those two were good friends with a young man named Truman Capote. (laughs) And they made up what many people refer to as the OG Gossip Girl crew. They're uber wealthy. They are going to private school in Manhattan on the Upper East Side. Was Harper Lee there as well? I don't know. She was really good friends with Truman Capote, but that might have been in their 20s. Okay. I just know that when I watched um, Who's the Three Namer That Died, who played Truman (laughs) Capote in the movie. Oh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Mm -hmm. Philip Seymour Hoffman. When I watched that movie, Harper Lee was in it a lot. Mm. I had no idea that Truman Capote and Harper Lee were really good friends, but that might have been adulthood friendship. Yeah. Because they're both writers. That makes sense. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. But okay, I was just curious if that was a childhood thing. Like if you saw it. In no, movie. I didn't see her okay. name mentioned at all. So this is very cool that like she is friends with famous people from a very young age. Oh, yeah. They were young, beautiful, wealthy, and as one historian referred to them, fatherless. Oh, my <laughs> so God. So these girls were doing whatever the fuck they wanted and no one was stopping them. Apparently, wow. so it's Una, like a tele- television series. Gossip Girl. This is literally. Gossip Girl. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Apparently, Una and her friends actually inspired Truman Capote, and he based one of his most characters off of them, Holly Golightly. No way. Which again is like the inspiration for Blair Waldorf <laughs> in Gossip, Gossip Girl. Girl. <laughs> It's all a big circle. Uh, They could often be seen at various nightclubs around the city, even though they were clearly underage and even (laughs) though it was a school night. (laughs) 
And because of their wild antics, they often found themselves in the society pages. These girls were the 40s or like this like late 30s version of Zelda Fitzgerald. So remember when we talked about Zelda and she was wild out on the town? I mean, these girls were doing that exact same thing. And but like, like Zelda, 10 years later. Yes. Okay. And like Zelda, these girls loved to date and flirt. But even though Una was wild and raucous and out on the town, there was a very quiet and shy side to her. People also often remarked about how kind she was. And they were like, you know, once you got to know Una, you realized that she was a kind, quiet, but very sad person. Um, I feel like most loud people are like that. I think so, too. You're, like, out having fun because, like, you have to escape something. Exactly. And, you know, and it, she was also really intelligent. And she was a very gifted writer, just, like, naturally, which she probably got from her father. Mm. Um, but... Everything was kind of overwhelmed by her antics in society. And, you know, people said, like, she had such a bright future ahead of her. But I think everything that happened with her dad and her feelings of abandonment kind of just made her act out and then just, like, ignore these things that could have helped her become a great writer of the 20th century. That's what some people say. You know, like, she was that good. So she's a great writer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But we'll figure out why we don't have any of those writings later. Hmm. Um, So her favorite haunt during her teenage years was the Stork Club, a very famous hotspot for celebrities. I mean, the Stork Club is in, like, a lot of our stories about this era. It would be like, Josephine Baker was there, and, like, someone did this, and, like, you know, uh, Grace Kelly was there, and someone did that, you know, or whatever. You know, it's all these famous people were here. Like, it was a list. If you weren't on the list, you didn't fucking get in, and Una was always on the list. (laughs) Um, and it was also a spot, uh, where people like to prey on these teenage girls. Um, (laughs) in fact, in April, 1942, during her senior year at Brearley, she was crowned as the number one debutante of the 1942 season at the Stork Club, which is like, why is this nightclub for adults having a debutante? event? (laughs) should not happen. I'm worried for these children's safety. A reporter asked Una how her father felt about her winning the debutante award. And she responded, I don't know, and I'm not going to ask him. He'll find out for himself. And he did find out for himself, and he was pretty fucking pissed about it all. But Una just didn't really care about what he thought. She was like, I don't give a shit. Like, I don't even know him. Da-da-da-da-da. I have my own adult friends at the Stork Club who like me very much. I'm 16. I'm not a child anymore. (laughs) Uh, but of course, Una cared a lot about what her dad thought. Poor baby. Then he got really upset when she announced that she was giving up her spot at Vassar College and instead going to Hollywood to become a model and an actress. All right. This started a public dispute between father and daughter with Eugene saying in the papers that all of this publicity that Una is getting is the wrong kind unless her ambition in life was to be a second-rate movie actress of the floozy variety. And I mean, being an actress shortly before this, probably when her dad was growing up, Mm -hmm. it was seen as sex work. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's something, until I did this podcast, I did not know. I didn't know either. And also, it's like, let's be clear, like, 
he was having affairs with actresses. <laughs> and I think he's like, no, 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 you can't be that. Those are the women that I sleep with. You're my daughter. Like, right. I think in his mind, it was like, no, you can't breach into this world. And like, I also think if he's probably also thinking like, not only am I having affairs with these women, but like, I know the men like that might yeah. work at MGM and they are raping yep. these girls. Exactly. Like he, so even if he's having quote affairs and these other men are saying they're having affairs, mm-hmm. he knows that a lot of rape is happening. Exactly. So, it, I mean, I don't want to say it's protective because he's terrible he left his he has no he should have no say no he should in what she does he left but like it is it's a world he knows about that Mm -hmm. she doesn't and i think a lot of men get to that point with their daughters and that's unfortunate that it takes having a daughter to realize that raping someone is wrong exactly so not that he raped anybody i don't know that that's true I have no idea. Yeah, I do yeah. not. <laughs> I'm just saying in Hollywood that happened. I don't oh, want yeah. that to be atoned with his name if that didn't actually happen. Right. So because he was so against this, he, instead of like developing a relationship with her and being like, hey, maybe you should go to Vassar, he just made damn sure that her career would tank. He called upon his friends in Hollywood and banned any of them from giving her a film contract. <laughs> What a dick. Just like, dude, just be nice to her. Like, what? Just invite her out to California for a a visit. I think that, because, like, it's very clear to me that, like, a lot of this acting out was to get attention from her dad. Maybe if he was like, I'd be really proud of you if you went to Vassar. Like, then she would have the choice to make the decision. Right. Like, do I want to go to Vassar or do I want to be a model? And it's frustrating because it's like, every time, I think that she was like, if I get into the papers, then he'll read about me and then maybe he'll reach out. Maybe he'll call. So, Una was like, okay, if I can't get a film contract, I'm going to try theater. (laughs) So, she made her debut in a small supporting role in a production of Pal Joey at the Maplewood Theater in Jersey in in July 1942. The production was a flop and was canceled after a two-week run. Then she briefly appeared in a production of the play The Time of Your Life in San Francisco where she unsuccessfully tried to meet up with her father who was living nearby. So again, she's like, okay, well, if, you know, you don't want me to be in this, I'm going to do a play in your area. So like, you have to see me, you know, like it's all just like really upsetting. It is upsetting. Like she's just trying to be near him. Yeah. She wants approval. Poor thing. I know. And then she went to LA to find someone who wasn't being hustled by her father to sign her. She found a woman named Mina Wallace who happily agreed. It was with Mina that Una made her first screen test for a movie called The Girl from Leningrad. You can still see it on YouTube. It's not a great screen test. She's supposed to be this, like, poor little Russian girl, but Una just naturally looks much too glamorous, Um, especially when she speaks in her, like, posh mid-Atlantic accent. (laughs) (laughs) So she didn't get that part. But then she did get a film contract for a movie called Shadow and Substance. Unfortunately, she was too young for the lead role at just 17. She's 17 when she's doing all this, by the way. But Mina Wallace convinced them to give her something, anything. She was like, just give her a film contract. Like, please. (laughs) Just get a foot in the door. (laughs) This girl is good. Uh, So they signed her. And then the movie got shelved. <laughs> no, that's so common in Hollywood. Though. I know. So Una did not get her big break, but she did meet someone who was going to change her life. The man behind the movie, Charlie Chaplin. 
Stop. But before we go into her story with Charlie, I'm actually going to back up for a bit and talk about the other men in her life because there were a few. (sighs) One of the first that people note is New Yorker cartoonist Peter Arlo, who was 26 when she was, I mean, probably like 16. That's gross. Gross. Another notable man who she briefly dated was Orson Welles. (laughs) When again, she was probably like 16, 17. (laughs) Yikes. When Una first got to California, he took her out for a night on the town. He gushed over her and offered to read her poetry and to dote on her like a princess and like all this bullshit. I just feel like, though, if you run in those circles, once you do the debutante ball, it was probably not gross, right? It was like, I'm just trying to think of like back then it was probably like if you come out, that means you're ready for marriage, right? Right. So maybe that is it. Yeah. These like super famous guys dating her that are famous and wealthy. It's like our family has now said she's ready for marriage. Right. So I'm like trying to at least give them a little bit of the benefit of the house. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if I should. But in my head, when you do the debutante ball, that means marriage is next. Right. And maybe that's why the stork club picked a debutante to be like, hey, this underage girl is now okay to date. (laughs) Party on. So as the legend goes, when she was on a date with Orson Welles, he took her hand and he traced her love line. And he said, ooh, very interesting. It leads to an older man. But unfortunately, it's not me. We'll get into who that is. Is he just like trying to break up with her? I don't know. Maybe he could like really read her. I don't know. Weird, 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 weird. But before Orson and Charlie and the other guy, Peter Arlo, (laughs) there was a young man with no money trying to woo the incomparable Una O'Neill, and his name was J.D. Salinger. Stop. He met her one summer on the Jersey Shore and fell head over heels for the raven-haired beauty. He was also pretty dazzled by the fact that her father was a famous playwright. (laughs) So he started chasing the glamorous debutante, but there was one major problem. Even though he, his family had some money, like he did not grow up poor in the least, his family didn't have nearly as much money as the Gossip Girl crew. And he (laughs) wasn't given like an allowance like they were. So this puts him in a pretty tough situation because he simply can't keep up with her and her lifestyle. He can't afford drinks at the store club every night. So while he's trying to court her, again, she's also being courted by much older, much wealthier gentlemen. And this drove J.D. crazy. And he ended up summarizing his growing resentment towards these society types by calling them phonies. But the kicker is, is that he still wanted to be a part of their world or at least date in their world. (laughs) So he thought in order to be good enough for Una, he had to be a published author and not just a published author. He said, I want to be in the New Yorker. That's the only way this is going to work. This is exactly F. Scott Fitzgerald. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It is. Exactly. It really is. And then to be such a troubled writer in the future. Yes. Shut up. So inspired by his summer among the uber wealthy and his desire to woo Una among all of these fake phonies Mm -hmm. he locked himself in a hotel room and began developing a story around a young man sick of phonies just like he was holden caulfield it was just a short story at first called slight rebellion off madison 
And to his delight, the New Yorker took to the troubled teen in the story and decided to publish it, just as J.D. felt that Una was slipping away from him. But then the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor and everything, including the publication of his story, was put on hold. And he was drafted into the army to fight in World War II. I didn't know J.D. Selling, he fought in World War II. He fought in the worst battles of World War II. Why didn't I know that? He was present on D-Day. No. The Battle of the Bulge. Stop. The Battle of Hutkin Forest. Never heard of it. (laughs) Never heard of it, but apparently it was bad. His division saw some of the largest casualties in the war. No wonder he was so troubled. Like, honestly, though, like, people give J.D. Savage a lot of shit. He did some really fucked up things later that we will kind of get into. Absolutely. He's not a great guy. No, he's not a great guy. But, like, he was in some of the worst days of World War II, and then he was sent to the concentration camps after they were, like, freed so, so like, he's then, like he, then he saw concentration camps. he's like, like like carrying bags of bones out awful 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 this guy wow no wonder his books get banned right. <laughs> God. but through all this he kept the first few chapters of catcher in the rye in his breast pocket and he was working on it in the war that's during the crazy war crazy to me yeah um and he also kept a flame lit for una even though he kind of got his heart broken before all this. Wait, is this... I need to know from our listeners if this is common knowledge. Like, do people know this about him and we're just idiots? <laughs> or like, I, I would love to know. Did you know? Yeah. Tell us if you were totally hip on to J.D. Saunders. Like, I've read life. Catcher in the Rye. Many times. But, like, I don't... That's crazy to me. Yeah. Okay. Um, so he would write... Una, these letters expressing her feeling, his feelings towards her. Um, you know, some were gushing, oozing love letters, and then others he was kind of trying to play hard to get, but it was still clear that he was very much in love with her. Una's estate still has one of these letters, some of these letters, and honestly, like they got like kind of weird. <laughs> I'm gonna read you an expert, an excerpt from one. Una de Luna. Here in Venezuela, the Forsythia is in bloom. All postcards and California aside, I'm damn happy you're not off to daddy land. I'd have missed you because you have such pretty blue legs. You do not tell the truth. You are a liar. Liars do not go to heaven. Only girls with braces on their teeth go to heaven. And Rita Hayworth. Which is weird because we mentioned Orson Welles earlier. (laughs) Isn't that a weird fucking letter? Probably would be like, okay, calm down. What the fuck? If somebody texted me that, I would be like, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let me screenshot this and put it all over social media, you psycho. <laughs> and so he would like write her all these letters. He was so in love with her. But while he was in boot camp, so before even he went through all those war atrocities. You can't break somebody's heart before they go to war. That's a rule. You have to at least pretend to like them if they're off to fight for the country. Well, she didn't tell him that they were breaking up. Oh, no. J.D. got a hold of a newspaper, and right there in the society pages was a big article about Charlie Chaplin marrying for the fourth time to a young socialite named Una O'Neill. J.D. was absolutely heartbroken. He not only got dumped and he didn't even know it, but he got dumped for an old man. On January 16, 1943, the 54-year-old Charlie Chaplin married Una one month after her 18th birthday. 
And this was like not only like upsetting for JD, but it was embarrassing because he had told everyone in his life that he was dating Una O'Neill, like the famous Una O'Neill. Like in his mind, she was his girlfriend. And she just like straight up just like wasn't even thinking about it. No. Got married. Married this old man. So he wrote her one last scathing letter with some very crude drawings of Charlie and Una and a reference to Charlie needing monkey glands, which apparently were the equivalent of Viagra uh, on their wedding night. And it was just like really messy. But it is safe to say that the presence of Una in his life helped him develop Holden Caulfield as a character. And the rejection that he felt from her helped him make it into a full-blown novel because he put kind of all of his anger towards this whole situation into this book. And the hope of that novel helped him make it through the war. Like, he was like, if I wasn't writing Holden Caulfield, I would not have made it through all those battles. I would not have made it out alive. I shouldn't have made it out alive. I mean, the chances that you make it through all of those. All of those things is insane. The book Catcher in the Rye has obviously become quite influential on young people in America and is often blamed for the murder of John Lennon because his killer, Mark David Chapman, was way too into the book. I mean, we all know that story. Mm -hmm. You know, he wrote that note in the hotel hotel room to Holden Caulfield, from Holden Caulfield, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So that's It's also banned in a lot of uh schools and libraries, Mm -hmm. which is ridiculous. And that's what that season of The Thread is about. It's about how... So it's called Lennon to Lennon because it starts with the murder of John Lennon by Mark David Chapman, then talks about the book Catcher in the Rye and J.D. Salinger's inspiration from Una O'Neill. Then it talks about Una O'Neill's life, and then it goes into her father's life. And there's a lot of stuff about him, and then somehow he... I forget exactly how because I didn't redo the whole series for this thing, but then it's like he's associated with like Lennon Lennon from Russia. Right. Yeah, like Charlie Chaplin has some like pretty dirty roots. Oh, his father? No, her father, Eugene O'Neill. Yeah, but so does Charlie Chaplin. Right. He's yeah. also not a great guy. Yeah. But oh, yes. No, we'll get into that too. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> but there's one more note on her influence of JD. She broke his heart in such a way that he never really recovered. And I also don't want to say she broke his heart. Because maybe his expectations were I different think his than her expectations were different. And like, I, I just feel like Una gets blamed for this. And I don't think that it's fair to just like be like, she broke his heart. It's like, I don't know who's writing her these. We- he was writing her these really weird letters. And it and seems like-, <laughs> like she brushed him off before he left. Yeah. She right? moved- Yeah, absolutely. He's she was like, like, we spent one summer together and then I moved to California. Yeah. And like, you couldn't afford the drinks at the places I want to go. So right. like, so anyways, but he never really recovered. And then he spent the rest of his life chasing young girls who reminded him of Una. Gross. He pursued at least 12 young women throughout his life. One as young as 14. I don't like that. When he was 34, he married a 19 year old. And then when he was 60, he married a 21-year-old named Colleen O'Neill. Stop it. You can't tell me that's not about Una because the age difference is almost exactly the same. I mean, thankfully, this woman was 21 and not 18, right. Charlie. But, but yeah, I mean, you it's, know, it's like she has a very similar name. Yeah. 
So we've been talking about J.D. Salinger too much. So let's get back to Una and her marriage to Charlie Chaplin. Why? (laughs) Again, she was just 18, which is gross, especially when you consider the fact that two of his other wives were 16. And also his oldest was 20. Like Charlie Chaplin also isn't like cute. Like, yeah, like there's sometimes when it's like there's an older guy and like you could see how it's kind of like a rustically sexy marriage and you're 19 and you're like, that's right. George Clooney at 54, a bit yeah. different yes, than please. Charlie Chaplin yes, at 54. Please. It's like that. It almost <laughs> seems like things were a little forced on you because somebody's personality can't be that good. I mean, I've seen Charlie Chaplin act and he mostly waddles around like a penguin. <laughs> So, like, I'm confused as to where the attraction is. I don't know. But in a shocking twist, they had an extremely happy marriage. Wow! She was the last of Charlie's wives. They were together until his death. What? How long were they married? We'll get to it. (laughs) Stop it, Katie. That doesn't make sense. Una. him with his little bowler hat. Una was swept off her feet by this man. She even gave up any idea of a film career to be his wife. Oh, my God. When- he knew her love language. <laughs> oh, he absolutely. Knew. He and had it's, it. I'm a father figure. <laughs> it's her love language. <laughs> Shut up. That's so funny. The sixth love language. I'm the daddy you never had. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. When asked about her new role as Mrs. Chaplin, she said she was, quote, happy to stay in the background and oh, she help changed Charlie her name? where needed. Yes. It's why. So her name is technically Una O'Neill Chapman, but I didn't want to give it away. <laughs> I was trying to be really sneaky with this one. Sneaky, um, <laughs> So she was trying to, she loved being helpful where Charlie needed her, which to his credit was a lot of time in the film studio. Charlie would bring her in all the time, ask her for his, her advice and her opinion on things. She was also, of course, a classic Hollywood hostess. Their house became a social hub for all the big celebrities of the day. This is a weird world bending thing. Albert Einstein was like a regular guest of theirs, which is so weird. And apparently everyone just adored Una. As one author puts it, you went to the house to see Charlie, but you left remembering Una. I feel like Albert Einstein was so fun. Yes, he treated his wife very poorly. Uh, yeah, but I feel like fun. he was very fun. <laughs> and he married his cousin. Like Chris. at a party. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Why don't we do an episode <laughs> called The Wives of Albert Einstein? <laughs> so Una had her first child with Charlie in 1944 and proceeded to have three more children with him during their nine years living in California. Nine years, three kids? Four kids. Jesus. Four kids, nine years. Hate that. But then in 1952... Things changed dramatically for the family. Uh-oh. They were in London for a film premiere and they were on the way home. And the United States was like, uh-uh-uh. <laughs> we're not letting you into the U.S. again, Charlie Chaplin, because you're a fucking communist. Because <laughs> he was a British citizen. Right. So they had the right or whatever to do that. So they wouldn't let him in. So Una went back alone gathered up all of their things, packed up the house, 
closed off all of their accounts, and she was firmly by his side when they made the move with their family of four to Switzerland to raise their family together. She even gave up her American citizenship to become a British citizen like him. She's very, very dedicated. <laughs> they I live... mean, she has four kids with the man. Oh, yeah. Like, she loves him. They lived in Manoir de Bon, a manor house located on Lake Geneva in Switzerland. And here, they had four more children, Allie. She has eight fucking kids? Eight children. Why? With Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> Why? I don't know, but it's clear they were boning a lot. I mean, I don't even want eight kids with my husband. No. <laughs> I want less than I have. I want to sell a couple Eight back. Children. Wait. Wait. <laughs> they had eight children. How old is she? Uh, like, okay. So sometimes, like, okay. How many kids did Kanye West and Kim Kardashian have? Boo. Like four? I don't know, but, but I know like, it's a lot, but most of them were surrogate. I think they only had one or maybe two where Kim was pregnant. Most of them are Yeah, but they surrogate. still had to be together for all that time. I felt like it wasn't that long. And then it just... It, four kids? Their relationship is a blur to me. It's like it happened and didn't. <laughs> That's how I feel about this relationship. Yeah. Uh-huh. It, they just keep having kids, and you're like, where did they all come from? I don't know. But she's having them with, I mean, a guy who's getting older. And by the late 1960s... His health was declining. But isn't this common, though, with, like, socialites that, like, your husband, if you're 20 and he's 60, he's going to die before your kids are 20. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's a pretty common thing in the wealthy world. That's yeah, sad. I know. And during, in the late 60s, he's getting more frail and he's becoming increasingly dependent on Una. He demanded that she be with him constantly, like to the point where he didn't like it if she wasn't in the room with him. And it was very taxing on Una. The age difference was finally, after all of these years, starting to show. And then, unfortunately, she started to fall into her own family curse. She started drinking quite heavily. Mm. And she would drink heavily alone. And if she was around people, she would simply pour the tea into teacups to keep it hidden away. Then on December 25th, 1977, so they got married in 42. <clears throat> so how many years is that? That's, 70, like, that's like 30 some years. 30 something years. Charlie Chaplin passed away at the age of 88. I mean, he was 54 when they got together. That's a long ass time. Yeah, they were together for her entire like early adulthood. Yeah. Unfortunately, a year later, Una, because she had a very high-profile husband who died, became the victim of an extortion plot. <gasps> Charlie Chaplin's coffin was stolen from his grave by two mechanics who demanded a ransom from Una in exchange for her late husband's body. Let him have Isn't it. Isn't that crazy? Let him, who I didn't cares? know this. Have the body. Thankfully, the two men were caught two two months later. But for two months, these men are like, we have Charlie Chaplin's corpse. Like, pay us a shit ton of money. But yeah, she they were. Like, I slept with his decaying body for years. I know exactly years. what it looks like. So <laughs> they, they were eventually caught by the police and Charlie was returned unscathed to his burial plot. Um, <laughs> but this was just not helping with Una coping with her great loss. 
after Charlie died, Una became very depressed. She was lost and isolated and became more reliant on alcohol. What was her husband for 30 years? And again, she was 18, so she literally didn't know anything else. She was, she like, was a child. I am Charlie Chaplin's wife. If there is no Charlie Chaplin, like, what am I? Who am I? And she would sometimes just take one of Charlie's gloves and just hold it in her hand as if he was, like, right next to her, just, like, holding her hand. Gross. She took it really hard. That's gross a little. Then one night, after a particularly heavy drinking session, she turned to her friend and said, Charlie was a great man, wasn't he? And then she got a bit quiet and then said, what the fuck did I do with my life? Which might be the most depressing sentence I've ever uttered on this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, can you imagine marrying an older man? He's famous. Mm Mm-hmm. And, like, you're kind of subservient to him for your entire life. Yeah. I I mean, it must feel like you squallowed away your youth. Yeah. And also, like, her talent. Like, I think also right. then she's kind of remembering, like, I had opportunities to do things on my own and not have my life defined by men. And I did not do that. But she also had eight kids. That's important. That's so like, she loved him a lot. I don't want to make it seem like she was a straight up trophy wife. Cause she wasn't, no, I really don't believe that. I, I think, think she this really is, did love him. I think this is a mom thing. Yeah. I know like my mom, I think feels like that. Really? Sometimes I think she gets to the point where she's like, I have these four amazing kids with these four amazing jobs and I, didn't pursue anything I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And I think that was expected of women in a certain era. Yeah, I think it was. On September 27th, 1991, Una O'Neill Chaplin passed away at the age of 66, so young, from pancreatic cancer. The headline read, Wife of Charlie Chaplin, daughter of Eugene O'Neill, dead at 66. It didn't even mention her name didn't even mention that she was the girlfriend of jd (laughs) (laughs) adam in there come on this is not a complete open (laughs) the i mean this woman who changed the course of history is forgotten between these troubled men (laughs) but una was more than that some people even call her a fulcrum of history for the effect that she had on people who affected the world. And I think that she could have had her own impact, but she chose to kind of stay in the background. She was, as I mentioned earlier, a prolific writer in her own right, but we'll never truly know how good she was because upon her death, she had all of her papers and her personal writings burned. So we must rely on other people's writings and interpretations of her. Charlie Chaplin is... (laughs) Troubled as he is, (laughs) ended his autobiography with a very lovely tribute to his wife, who was without a doubt the love of his life. I really believe that. He said, Schopenhauer said, happiness is a negative state, but I disagree. For the last 20 years, I have known what happiness means. I have the good fortune to be married to a wonderful wife. I wish I could write more about this, but it involves perfect love. And perfect love is the most beautiful of all frustration 
because it is more than one can express. As I live with Una, the depth and beauty of her character are a continual revelation to me. Even as she walks ahead of me along the narrow sidewalks of Vive, Vivi, I don't know what that town is, uh, <laughs> with simple dignity, her neat little figure straight, her dark hair smoothed back, showing a few silver threads, a sudden wave of love and admiration comes over me for all that she is, and a lump comes to my throat. Which I think it's, he really loved her. Yeah. And I really think that she loved him. And That's I, good. And again, Charlie did some fucked up things in his life, but I, I think and I hope and I pray that like she brought out the best in him and made him a better person. Her legacy lives on in her many grandkids. In fact, one of her granddaughters, who became her namesake, is now a working actress. You may recognize Una Chaplin from Game of Thrones. Stop! She played Talisa, the bride of Rob Stark, who would be killed in one of the most famous scenes of the show, The, the Red, Red Wedding. Wedding. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. That is Una and Charlie Chaplin's granddaughter. Get out of here. Ah, unbelievable. She has been portrayed by Moira Kelly in the film about Charlie Chaplin's life and by Zoe Deutsch in the film about J.D. Salinger's life. (laughs) There may not be any movies about her, but there is a song by Lindsay and Russell John which asks the question many people ask when it comes to Una. What's the big deal about Una (laughs) O'Neill? And that's her story. That's so good. I just, what, how fun. <laughs> like, there's a lot of dudes in that story that I did not expect to be there. It's a weird. Truman Capote? Yeah. Truman Capote, J.D. Salinger, Eugene O'Neill, Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> yeah. It is wild. And, like, and I'm sure, like, and we're not even counting all the other people who just interacted with her at the Stork Club. Like, right. She really is a fulcrum of history. She is this person who is in the background of pulling strings all over the place. Like, she is fascinating. And also, I didn't mention this because I didn't want to spoil anything, but when... I wanted to call him Orville Orville Tutenbacher. Orville Wells. Orson Wells. Orson Wells. (laughs) Why can't I remember his name? This is not a history podcast. No, it's not a history podcast. Um, <laughs> so when Orson Welles read her palm, he actually told her, apparently, this is what he says, that she was going to marry Charlie Chaplin. Stop. And she was like, you're crazy. And then she did. Isn't that good? Like, he was like the older man is Charlie Chaplin. I didn't say that when I when it happened. Yeah, you couldn't because then I, I would have known. Because then it would have spoiled it. That's not so, a good story. Anyways, we have to get another bombshell babe of the night. Pam Anderson. Ah! I can't wait for this cocktail. We'll be right back. Cheers. We're back. Back for part two. We have some sexy new red drinks. Oh, just the sexiest <laughs> red drink ever of all time. I love it. Um, do you want to know what it is? Yes. This is called Watch Me. Because, mm, of course, all you want to do is just watch Pamela Anderson all day. Just course, do whatever the hell she's course. doing. So it is cranberry juice, vanilla vodka, <sighs> pineapple, 
limoncello and aquafaba because I wanted it to have like a little bit of fluff in it. And then you garnish it with a lemon. So I really wanted it to look like this is the blonde hair. Oh, and put it in your curviest curviest glass. Curviest glass. (laughs) Even if it's like a margarita glass. I love that. It can't have sharp edges. It has to be curvy. Oh, it tastes so good. It's I love so this. fun and be it's so Malibu. And it's funny because when you were describing it, I was like, God, I want that cocktail and I have <laughs> it in front of me. <laughs> I love I, I love too because like cranberry is very tart, pineapple is very sweet, and then you have vanilla vodka in there to just soften it all up. <sighs> I love it. This is a wonderful cocktail. I really enjoy it. And it's <laughs> so red and curvy. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so tell me what you know about Pamela Anderson. Okay, I know that she was on Baywatch. Uh huh. I know that she was married to Tommy Lee, and they had this wedding where she wore a white bikini Listen. and a little sailor cap on a boat. Iconic. And then I know that they had a sex tape leaked, which is the subject of the new movie, Pam and Tommy, where Lily James, or whatever her name is, looks exactly killing it like pamela like killing it i couldn't believe it um and i also i mentioned pamela anderson earlier in the season actually because b arthur participated in the roast of pamela anderson well and that's (laughs) where we wrote down or like it was at some point where we're like we have we have to do her pam anderson yeah because apparently she like wrote a fictional book about her thinly veiled book about (laughs) what it's It's like like how 50 shades of gray was a thinly veiled fanfic of twilight Twilight. (laughs) when like when like the guy in the store walks in or like the store she's working in and you're like oh that's jacob yeah okay (laughs) i see where i am i have all my bearings and they are straight Uh (laughs) okay so mormon straight So here's the deal. I watched E! True Hollywood Stories. I watched 60 Minutes. I read all these articles. I watched all these interviews. But it's really hard to just search up, like, information about Pam Anderson because you end up with, like, a ton of gross men, like, giving their opinions on Pam Anderson. Mm. So he's trying to avoid the douchebags. Okay. Especially because, like, her era men were shitty. I feel like millennials and Gen Z guys are really have been. They're trying to tr- much they're trying to turn the tides. I think right, like they're trying to be like actually good guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like at high school, like two days ago, I texted producer this. There's this boy came in to class, high school boy one, and was like, "Oh my gosh, so and so." Come over here. I need to talk to you. This hot girl just told me she likes you, and he was just like. No, man, I don't need to hear about that. I have a girlfriend. Like, that was his response. That's so nice. Like, he didn't even care. Like, I I don't even need to know about that, man. I love that. I was like, oh, my God. God, I hope things are getting better. (gasps) I was like, they might be. I think. Maybe. We'll see. I'm sure there's still douchebags. About. They're about and around. Who are we looking at? Sorry, I saw a deer. Oh, there's there's also a guy pruning this bush. He's been pruning that bush for fucking ever. Yeah, they love that. I think it's a tree. He's like, I've got to stay around for the just the two of us i think it (laughs) i think (laughs) i will prune this bush until i die i think it might be like a cherry tree i think he's like (gasps) harvesting cherries oh jealous i know right you should steal all those cherries i think he'd kill me (laughs) (laughs) okay all right are we ready yes okay 
Pamela Dennis Anderson. Dennis. Dennis. Already. I'm sorry. Right off the bat. Dennis. What a great middle name. Get ready for wildness. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Was born July 1st, 1967 in a middle class family in Canada. No, she's Canadian. She's Canadian. Just like Justin Bieber. <laughs> Dennis, Canada. I'm overwhelmed already. <laughs> Her dad's name was Barry Anderson, and he's very middle class. He's a furniture or furnace repairman. And her mom, Carol, is a waitress. Mm. So norm. I love that. Mm-hmm. Her dad was Finnish and emigrated to Canada, at which point he changed their last name to Anderson to kind of fit in. And her mom's side also has a whole bunch of Russian heritage. So she's very like a northern european it's funny because now you say that she is the baby of a finn and a a russian Russian. it makes so much sense like no wonder you're like no wonder you're gorgeous (laughs) (laughs) we all want to be you asshole yeah (laughs) okay i also like that he like changed it to anderson when like the most famous swedish person of all time is hans christian anderson (laughs) he's like okay little mermaid my granddaughter got it (laughs) (laughs) so right after her birth she received news coverage as a centennial baby because she was born on the 100th anniversary of like canada's constitution act <laughs> so she's like in the paper being born on the 100th anniversary of their constitution it's funny because i was gonna joke that like man she just missed july 4th by this much yeah, but she's in canada canada <laughs> <laughs> canada and pam that should be their new theme song they should call themselves capamita <laughs> you know she's from british columbia though who else is from british columbia he's hot he's married to blake lively ryan reynolds mm-hmm. is also from british mm-hmm. columbia great mm. but that's a west coast canada that's not french canada like Mm-mm. over here Mm-mm. on the east and will arnett is from some important type of canada because oh his dad is very wealthy <laughs> brendan fraser canada <gasps> wow sandra oh <laughs> listen <laughs> Wait, let me just name Moira, all the- Moira Rose <laughs> and Eugene Levy. <laughs> but Moira Rose is not her name. Mike Myers. Catherine, Catherine O'Hara. O'Hara. <laughs> all the good people are from Canada. Okay. She does have a younger brother, and he ends up also being an actor and producer and actually works with her in the future on films oh. and like TV production. So great for him. Good job, other Anderson. So in 2014, Pamela came out and talked about her childhood, which was kind of rare for her. There's not a lot about her that we knew, but this was a pretty like a devastating revelation for a lot of people. She had a female babysitter from the time she was six until she was 10. And this female babysitter abused her, (gasps) constantly abused her for these four years. And Pamela said that she often hoped that her babysitter would die. And then her babysitter got in a car accident (gasps) and died. Oh, my God. And she suffered with guilt for a really long time and didn't tell people about the abuse, some of it sexual. And she just, like, dealt with the guilt of thinking that she had these special powers that killed her babysitter for a really long time. (sighs) In this same time that she's saying this... She also said that when she was 12, a 25-year-old man raped her. And then that when she was 14, her boyfriend brought over six friends and they gang raped her. No. So Pamela's childhood was fraught with people using her body for what they wanted. 
and it probably wasn't even like developed developed into the pam anderson that we know no not at all she had brown hair really she was she's a brunette no i mean and i mean like finished brunette you know what i mean where it's like a dark blonde Mm -hmm. um it's not the pamela that we know she wasn't like naturally she wasn't naturally finished blonde you know because she wouldn't have been able to get as tan as she can get you know Mm -hmm. what i mean so she had a darker complexion to her hair that she attended Highland Secondary School in British Columbia, where she played volleyball for the school volleyball team. And she graduated in 1985 and very quickly moved to Vancouver. And in Vancouver, she's a fitness instructor, mm. like in her early, you know, late teens, early 20s. But in 1989, Pamela Anderson went to a Vancouver Lions football game for a college and she's in the crowd and she is wearing a form fitting beer t-shirt and she gets put up on the jumbotron and that beer company comes a call in the next day for a model for their beer company teenage girl Oh, my God. On the Jumbotron. You can find this picture. Hot as shit, just in the crowd. Can you imagine being so pretty that you're on the Jumbotron and somebody's like, I need that girl for an ad? Oh, my God. It reminds me of that convict who, like, his mug shot made him get a modeling contract. <gasps> he is beautiful. He's very beautiful. Yeah, but sh- this is And so she- is Pamela Anderson. Right, in 1985 <laughs> or 89 or whatever on this Jumbotron shot. So... In, so now she's like a spokesperson for this beer company. Inspired by this, her then boyfriend, Dan, took this picture of her and produces a poster entitled The Blue Zone Girl. And she quickly becomes nicknamed The Blue Zone Girl and is like a football model. Oh my in God. Canada. In Canada. It's crazy. Soon after, she receives an offer from Playboy. <gasps> So she's on the Jumbotron, in a beer commercial, then the Blue Zone Girl, and Playboy comes a call in. That happened during football season. So think football season starts in August. By October, she's on the cover of Playboy. No. Two months. Two crazy months. I could not even imagine. And then by February... So that was 1989. By February, four months later, she is selected as the Playmate of the Month and appears in the centerfold of Playboy. After this, Pamela kind of looks at herself and she's like, you know, I just kind of want to look different, especially this is the early 90s where I think everybody was very breast focused. I think we have a different focus now in like how women are supposed to look. But she decides I'm going to get a breast, her first breast augmentation. And she goes from the size she was, which is she still she was still very voluptuous. Right. She was a large C cup, but she goes to a 34 D. Um, but that wouldn't be the only change she goes through in her life. She ends up becoming a 34 double D in oh. just a couple of years. Wow. So she has a breast implant. I did not know that she had breast implants. Yes. She had breast implants to be the Pam we know and then breast implants again to be the Pam we even more know. Okay. So Pamela's Playboy career spanned over 22 
years. That is a long time for a Playboy Uh person. Yeah. Especially if you're not a bunny that's married to Hugh. Right. Yeah. She was never part of Hugh's mansion. Interesting. She was was just a model for Playboy. Huh. And I mean, she was definitely ingrained in the culture because like she was on more Playboy covers than any other model. No. Yeah. (gasps) She has the the marker for that. And she wrote the foreword for the Playboy coffee table book. Really? She like is the person who's like, oh, yeah, Pam Anderson, Playboy. Perfect. That's so interesting. I know. Because I I don't think I knew that it it sounds like this big part of her life, but. I didn't know that she was a part of Playboy. I, in my mind, her career starts at Baywatch, Baywatch, which is so important because I think having somebody as a part of the photographic porn industry uh-huh. become a household name is so, so amazing. Hard to do. It's hard, and especially in the '90s where <sighs> everybody was about purity yeah. and like whatnot. Like I think about like Holly Madison. Right, Holly Madison would never have been able to get. A sitcom gig. No. She was on a reality show, for sure. So was Pam. So was Pam. <laughs> of course. But, you know, I I think about the idea of, like, people being like, yes, she is Jim Belushi's wife on this show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that would never happen, yeah. you know? It's, it's so cool to me that it's like she was a literal teenage girl who was on a Jumbotron and then four months later is the most... You prolific know, model of maybe all time mo- yeah playboy mind of all time right. that's insane yeah crazy okay so she decides i am going to parlay this modeling into an acting gig so she moves from canada to los angeles <laughs> of course here she got her first big break in a small role as Lisa as the Tool Time Girl. Yes! For the oh first two seasons. I forgot about that. Of Home Improvement. So and she was great! Yeah, before Heidi. Heidi is the Tool Time Girl who went from season three to the end. Mm-hmm. But Pam Anderson was Lisa. She was the first Tool Time Girl. I forgot about that. Because Tool Time was obviously... Our era. I mean, our, <laughs> our, I mean, our dads are Tim the Dual Man Taylor. And I mean, <laughs> JTT, what? What? JTT's my husband, maybe, and Simba. I don't know. Maybe Simba. I like that brooding one. <laughs> <laughs> the one with the young blonde one or the old football one? Young emo. Emo, emo one. boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, the jock one, I was like, <laughs> nobody liked him. Not interested in that at all. <laughs> he tried to get a career from that and it just wasn't working out. Disney wasn't a goal in. I. <laughs> <laughs> He probably like had a serious drug problem. I'm sorry. Oh, like, I, I feel like that might be true. If you want us to talk about him in Patreon, let us know. <laughs> if you want us to talk about to- Tim the Toolman Taylor and Al, what if we did all of Wilson! our bonus episodes about men? <laughs> we call it side guys. <laughs> side guyism. Okay. So here's the deal. She's on this show and she's on there for two seasons and that gets the attention of other people. They're like, oh my God, she's a beautiful girl that can walk in and out of scenes and like put sentences together. So (laughs) she gets a call from Baywatch to get her role as CJ Parker, which she was on for five seasons. Mm. 
as we know, this is an hour-long show that portrayed the lives of Malibu <laughs> lifeguards, and many have called it, quote, a nearly plotless vehicle for semi-nude video <laughs> montages, <laughs> which, like, yes. Sure. <laughs> um, the internet wasn't around, guys. <laughs> Come on. Where else were we going to get our softcore pornography? We needed it. And, like, okay, critics have said the same, but the critics and public are different. The show was fueled by frequent shots of the voluptuous Pamela Anderson or Yasmeen Bleak, who's my personal favorite, <laughs> and and the studly David Hasselhoff running down the beach doing their good deeds to save people from dying in the ocean every week. It soon became the highest rated program world why oh <laughs> and it got her international fame yeah pam anderson and she is one of the longest running cast members of the show most people were in and out you're a lifeguard for a season or two but she was there for like five seasons yes yeah. which is hard to do yeah yeah Around this time, she's doing commercials, she's on magazines, she's in music videos. She is the it girl of the 1990s. But like many other beautiful starlets, they want to do some art. So she wants to like star in films. So she gets this role in Role Justice, which is like a good cop, bad cop thing. And it premieres at like a dramatic film festival and it actually wins the bronze award at this film festival hmm. but that would never translate to pamela's life pamela only ever got razzies and like she never got oh. any actual awards for really? things that she did and which is so sad, sad because she did do movies and shows but like in none of the roles very similar to marilyn monroe the roles were not written to make her a good actress she was reading lines written for a ditzy blonde, mm. which she did well, yeah. but nobody cares. Yeah. So upsetting. So Pam has been married to a total of six guys, but married way more than six times because many of these men she married multiple times. So let's begin that journey. In 1995, she married... One of her most famous husbands, Motley Crue rocker Tommy Lee, her first husband. That was her first husband? Yeah, and for a while she I was didn't known realize that. Yeah, as Pamela Anderson Lee. Wow. That's the only time she changed her last name was for Tommy. She knew him for four days before they got married. Oh. And they wed, of course. In an iconic white <laughs> bikini on a beach. She loves the fucking water, Pam. Her mom, though, didn't even know her daughter was getting married and found out about it in a magazine, like pictures of it. During this time, like I said, she was known as Pamela Anderson Lee, and the couple ended up having two children, Brandon Thomas in 1996 and Dylan Jagger in 1997. They did get divorced in between those two kids and remarried, okay. just so we're all aware. Yeah. <laughs> now... There is a mini series right now that we talked about earlier called Pam and Tommy. I've only watched one of the episodes because I wanted to get a feel for it yeah. before this show, but it follows the few years of their like tumultuous marriage. Yeah. It was fucking crazy. He was arrested for spousal abuse. He oh. like hit her and like kicked her in the ribs and she called to have him arrested. Why is it always the ribs. I don't know. God. Why would you kick her? 
I don't know. So even worse, though, is during the time of their marriage, a tape that they took on their honeymoon, their sex tape from their honeymoon was leaked publicly. But it was leaked on a VHS tape that was stolen from their home. Right. It was like by like an electrician or something. Yeah, like this, someone who was doing work in their home. Yeah. This isn't like a, it. oops, I left it on the internet. This yeah. is like a actual violation of someone's private property. And like up to that point, Pam, I think people think that like she's nude in public. She must be fine with nudity. That's entirely different. That's vulnerable. Mm -hmm. That's personal property. You're doing things with your husband, with your husband on camera that you wouldn't want other people to see. Like it's very, very uncomfortable and it was very hard for her. Now the show Pam and Tommy called her a lot, a lot. They were like, we want to make sure we're telling this story right. We want to get your permission. But she would not call back. Really? So the show asked. They tried really hard to make sure that it was Pamela's true reaction. But we just don't know. Well, then it makes me kind of sad because, like. She should be able to tell that story. She should be able to. But also, if she doesn't want to. Should she be forced to? And she now have to. I'm kind of frustrated because I understand that it's a very sensational story. I understand that it's interesting. And I think the show is trying to do right by showing how exploitative the whole situation was. Of course. And I don't know. It kind of makes me feel like she's getting taken advantage of all over again. I, I, I don't disagree. Like It makes me feel bad for her because I think she doesn't want to be that girl forever and she is and it sucks it does because again like a lot of starlets we cover it's like she wants to be taken seriously and people just refuse to it's not even that they don't it's that they refuse to was it rita that you were talking about when it was Mm -hmm. like you marry so-and-so but you wake up next to me like marry gilda and you wake up next to rita And And she was like, I'm not that girl. I'm a different person. And I think that's why she's been married so many times. All these like famous rockers and dudes think they're marrying this like sexy beach body. But she's like, I'm a fucking person. Well, they think they're marrying the Playboy centerfold. Right. And they're marrying a human being with feelings and emotions of all her own. And needs and wants. And like all these things. It's, It's really interesting to me. So... I mean, eventually other sex tapes get leaked. Like there's one with her and um, Brett Michaels from before she married Tommy really? Lee. Oh, I was... didn't know that other ones got leaked too. Yeah, it's just, it's really hard for her. And like, anyway, her and Tommy end up getting a divorce after he goes to jail for six months for hitting her. They have two sons. She's a single mom now. And she's making a living by being a sex goddess. And it's hard. And even though she won that award at the film festival, not all of her TV success would translate to the big screen. There's this great movie coming out. It's called Barbed Wire. She's going to be in it. And it just is a total flop. It's a thinly veiled like remake of Casablanca. And, like, 
she's in it and just everyone hate critics hate it people hate it and what's even worse is that like in the show barbed wire she or the movie she has to get this like tattoo painted on every day of barbed wire and she's just tired of sitting in hair and makeup so she actually gets that barbed wire tattoo that iconic tattoo that she has on her arm is because she's tired of sitting in hair and makeup but like models are supposed to at this time at least have bare skin so now she's going to be in more hair and makeup covering it up throughout the whole future of her life okay but it's 1997 she's doing all this people make fun of her movies they make fun of her sex tapes they make fun of her failed marriage and she just has to stomach it so she guest hosts on saturday night live and they pick fun at her and she's like you know what this is okay Like, I can do this. I can make money by doing this. So she decides to return to TV with a show called VIP, which I watched every episode in Really? I loved VIP. She is, like, the head of a bodyguard agency (laughs) for, like, rich people in Hollywood. And she would, like, kick ass and be sexy and be their bodyguard. It was funny. It was cute. But the best part about it is she made fun of herself. And she's the executive producer. So she's producing the show. She's starring in the show and the entire time making fun of the fact that she's hot. I love that. And I remember adoring that show. Me and Eric (laughs) would watch it every week. We thought it was so funny. (laughs) There were four seasons. And I mean, it wasn't the hit that Baywatch was, but it kept her life going. It gave her money. And she was a star and producer. After her divorce in 1998, she was engaged to this guy named Marcus, but they broke up in 2001 and she continued to be placed in music videos and Miller Lite commercials where she did pillow fights and like all the traditional. But in 1999, she said, I just don't feel like these large breasts fit me anymore and they don't feel good. So she had her 34 double D's removed. Wow. Pam Anderson is one of the, I mean, there's probably about 10 celebrities that are famous for this, but she looked at herself in the mirror one day and said, I'm tired of it. Yeah. And had her boobs taken out. And now she's, she had reconstructive surgery because there's extra skin and stuff. Yeah. So now she is back to like her traditional breast size. Wow. Yeah. I think uh, Chrissy Teigen also did that. Yeah. Like I had them. Mm -hmm. I'm done with it. (laughs) And then poor Soleil Moon Fry. She just had crazy big natural boobs and, and had then a reduction had a reduction which i i had a friend of mine she went through a reduction because she was like i had to yeah. like it like you know i think one of the other things that i did not realize as a young person was that like i was always kind of mad that like i didn't have bigger boobs and then people with bigger boobs were like it is the worst. Like running, sucks. jumping, like, you can't do anything. And like, then I was like, okay, maybe it's like, like my size isn't so bad, you know? <laughs> and I think that as a, a woman living in America, it's like, I think you have to find your ideal size. And if you have to go bigger or smaller, like smaller then I think it's okay. But yeah, I just think Breast size is very interesting because it's a grass is always greener kind uh-huh. of situation. Oh, yeah. Oh, like a hundred percent. But 
It's yeah. hard. And I think I find it interesting that she was in the 90s mm-hmm. and then at the early 2000s, 1999, she's like, I'm done. Yeah. And I think most of us were. The 2000s, we I were totally like, we're agree. done with this. It's funny because I think we're back to, uh, speaking of, we're in the 1920s right now. And I think we're making a fashion parallel. We're in the 20s. The 1920s in the United States, it was very slim, straight, slim, flat chested uh, archetype or whatever you want to call it. Hudson was very in very hot. And I think that's coming back again, which is very, very interesting. And I mean, it'll keep happening. And I will. I just find it very interesting that somebody who went so far to Mm -hmm. a 34 double D was like, I'm done. Yeah. But she didn't stop modeling nude which i love about her that is incredible she had them taken out and reconstruction but she is still a bunny for playboy she's still naked in stuff she's naked in gq magazine she's in clothes on marie claire and on l she's still a model regardless of her breast size and Mm -hmm. i find that important for her because she is stunning people talk about her boobs but that is not who she is no and like she's just so beautiful so in 2002 she comes out and says i have hepatitis c from sharing needles (gasps) with tommy lee (gasps) no they were doing drugs together tattoos tattoos yeah okay Sorry, I went to like I immediately I would go to drugs too, but she still looks too healthy for that. She looks insanely healthy for like being in her sixties. It's yeah. insane. I can't She's believe She's in her sixties? She was born in nineteen sixty seven. Seven, yeah. She either late fifties or early sixties. <laughs> okay, let's round up. Nineteen seventy. We're in nineteen twenty two, so that's fifty two. Wait. She's in her fifties? Wait, 60. 70, 30 Let's plus 20 out. is 52. Let's find out. Let's find out. <laughs> so I'm trying to do. Hey, Siri, how old is Pamela Anderson? There we go. 54. 54. She's our mom's age. <laughs> our moms are the same age as Pamela That's Anderson. bananas. <laughs> I know. Okay. If I were to say one thing that was absolutely bananas that would be it <laughs> that Pam Anderson is the same age as my mom she could be my mom maybe Ooh. she'll adopt me this is different in Canada I don't know. <laughs> her and Brenda Fraser are having the cream of the crop <laughs> anyway she has hep C and she's upset about it she talks about it regularly though she's like public about it she goes on Howard Stern and like jokingly says like yeah I probably have 10 to 15 years to live which everybody took very seriously they're like oh my god death watch for Pam Anderson (laughs) bless her soul but in 2015 there is this new regiment that comes out where she can go on this 12-week plan and she gets cured <gasps> of hep c what? it's um, curable it's curable now they like used her as like a test case no. to like we can do this so a 12-week regiment on this medicine cured of hep c pam's fine everybody pam watch <laughs> over <laughs> okay 2003 she becomes engaged to rapper rocker kid rock which why no don't you remember that why do the trashiest men have the most beautiful women she's with kid rock they get married on a yacht in france (laughs) 
So it's up from the small boat that she got married on the first time. And now it's, it's now a, a yacht, yacht in France. Probably again in a I remember seeing pictures of her in a white bikini with Kid Rock. So I think it's just like a reoccurring trend. She loves the water. They're only Why Kid Rock? Honestly. He owns a bar called like donkey jam or something like um, that i also the think South. like i do think i remember and i didn't write anything about this but i do remember pam maybe supporting donald trump no i feel like around the trump time or like say like she would write letters to him about things he should do okay um i i just ugh. do you want to know the name of kid rock's uh bar donkey balls it's called kid rock's big donkey honky tonk donkey do you think he has truck nuts? And the TripAdvisor thing says, <laughs> seriously, I love this place. Stop. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Big donkey honky tonky. I own- I'm sorry. Honky tonky. Big donkey honky tonky. <laughs> ball with the ball, Katie. Just, just- Do you know how many times Casey, fiance, quotes that song to me? <laughs> On a regular basis. Well, I just like- remember. <laughs> did you have the CD? No, uh, okay, so it's just, unless it was a now that's music, I didn't have it. <laughs> so it's just Kids Rock hand. I gotta get my- w- the front of the CD, just him giving the yeah, middle finger. We've talked about this. Thumbs out. Thumbs out, baby. <laughs> Thumbs out, baby. It's like pinkies out on your teeth. We have talked about Kid Rock too much on this podcast, <laughs> actually. It's now recorded for all future generations <laughs> so that my great-grandchildren who are famous can play this back. Okay. <laughs> so... She is married to Kid Brock in France on a yacht. They're married for like three years. But she does say like during this marriage, she she was raising kids alone for like all the 90s. And like she felt like she found someone, which is just like a step down from Tommy Lee. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would put Tommy Lee above Kid Rock. Unfortunately, but... Then, like, everything's a little crazy because everybody's like, why'd they get married so quick? And there's a rumor that she was pregnant by him. They get married. And she doesn't say anything about the pregnancy. But then, like, just a couple months later, she has a miscarriage. Mm. And she had had a miscarriage, a couple miscarriages when she was with Tommy Lee. And just, like, the, the marriage kind of fell apart very shortly after she lost the baby. And I feel like when you're a woman who looks like Pamela Anderson and is in the public eye, there's not a lot of sympathy, even though you're going through something that, like, everyone agrees is, like, super shitty. Right. Like, people are just like, oh, well, you might deserve it if you act like that. Exactly. And And I think a lot of it comes from, no, and I think a lot of it comes from jealousy. Like, people are like, my husband thinks you're so hot, so I fucking hate you. Yeah. And that's not her fault. No, it's not. And, like... It's frustrating. It makes me really sad that she's going through this whole thing and probably feels very alone. Yeah. Who's she going to talk to? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. She's bolstering up her fame. She goes back in 2003 to do like a Baywatch Hawaiian wedding episode. (laughs) Of course, she'll do all the reprises because they love her. Mm -hmm. But she decides to try her hand as an author. <laughs> so she co-writes a book called Star about a teenager trying to become famous. And then in 2005, the book is starstruck about the trials oh. of the teenager <sighs> being famous. And it's like semi-autobiographical, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> and then get this. This is why she was married to Kid Rock. She went 
from Walmart to Walmart to sign the books of fans around the country. That's the trashiest shit I've ever heard. You're you're the super famous. Your book signings were at Walmarts? I just want to take her and put her in a room in my house. I want to hug like, her. Are you okay? Okay. <laughs> can I marry I your son? I can help that you. it happened at Walmart. You can no be shame my against Walmart. You can be my mother-in-law. I mean, we have said before in the podcast, like, <laughs> love a Walmart. Love a Walmart. They are there for people who need them. I was at Walmart very often as a child because right. my family had no money. <laughs> yeah. But still, it's like, I just feel like she hadn't. She, okay. <laughs> she she thinks the... she deserves Walmart. She deserves Neiman Market. <laughs> I was going to say Barnes and Noble. <laughs> She's a true icon. Are there any book signings at Neiman Marcus? No, but maybe. But maybe. Okay. So she's super famous. So famous even still. Like, she's doing all this stuff. She's not on Baywatch anymore. She's not in anything great. But she's doing Comedy Central Roasts, the aforementioned. Mm-hmm. She is being put on the Canadian, you know, Walk of Fame. She's only the second model to ever be on that. She's a household name. NBC has her own programs. And then she's like pole dancing during Elton John playing the piano. And they have to like cut the program midstream because they're like, this is too hot. (laughs) Too many boners. Too hot. Too hot. Too hot. But then she also was like, you know what? I'm not just a pretty face. I'm an activist. So she starts being a spokesperson for Matt Cosmetics for the AIDS Foundation. And then she's in a movie called Stripperella, which she works on with Stan Lee, where she's like a dead superhero. And then one called Stacked, where she's a former party girl who worked at a bookstore. Like, she's just taking roles that, I don't know. But anyway, then she's in Borat. And if you remember the original Borat, there's a book signing. She gets kidnapped at the book signing. And then, like, that's her entire scene. It is still up for debate whether she's a great actress or she was stolen against her will as a joke. So we don't know. We don't know. And this movie got Academy Awards, Katie. Did it really? That movie got Academy Awards? Both of the Borat movies were nominated for Academy Awards, Golden Globes. What? All this shit. I mean, to be honest, never saw either of them. Sasha never Baron saw Cohen. Any of them. Like, I mean, he steals Pamela Anderson in the middle of a book signing, probably at Walmart. And then, like, she, like, but neither of them will say whether or not it was planned or unplanned. Interesting. Yeah. I'm going to say it was planned. I agree, because otherwise she'd probably, like, freak out and pee herself. Like, yeah. I would be so scared. Yeah. <sighs> she did an interview around this time where she said that since her and Tommy Lee's divorce, they had been on and off again. Like they love each other regardless still to this day. I mean, 2018, her son got in trouble for punching Tommy Lee in the face when he said something about his mom and that's his real dad and his real mom. (laughs) And they're like bio mom and dad still fighting. Okay. But she's on the Ellen show and she announced that she's engaged again to Rick Solomon who they end up getting married in Las Vegas and they separate after two months because of fraud. But you might know his name because he was in the famous sex tape with Paris Hilton. Hold the phone. 
she married the guy who was in the sex tape with Paris Hilton after oh, being in a sex tape God. with Tommy Lee. I'm Lee. sorry. <laughs> For a second, my, bla- my brain did a big flippity-flop, and I was like, Ray J? And then I was like, no, he was in the sex tape with Kim, Kim Kardashian. Kardashian. Who Kim Kardashian was worked like, for Paris Hilton. Worked for Paris Hilton for a long time. Okay. Forgot that Paris Hilton also had a sex tape. Yeah. And forgot his name completely. Because I don't know Hilton's, if I ever knew it. Paris Hilton's sex tape is the only one I've seen of those three. Really? Mm-hmm. I've never seen any of them. I haven't seen Pamela's or Kim Kardashian's, but I've seen Paris Hilton's. Interesting. But, like, I... So I've seen this guy has sex. <laughs> But then he married Pamela Anderson. But they were only married for like a couple months. Because like, she's just, I don't understand why she marries people instead of dates them. It's very over the top. Well, it kind of feels to me like we covered, I I feel like it's like a weird um, fucking. Ginger Rogers did that. Exactly what I was thinking of. Ginger Rogers thing where she's like. Well, if they'll marry me, maybe they'll be good. (laughs) Like maybe they'll love me forever. And she's like wants to be loved forever. I think she wants to be loved forever. And I think Which also reminds me of Kim Kardashian. Mm-hmm. And I think that she I honestly I wonder if people like that don't want to waste. I wonder if they see dating as a waste of time. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Because they're like, maybe I'll get married and it'll last forever. I agree. And that would be great. And then I won't have to date for I wouldn't have to date for three years and then figure it out. Mm-hmm. It's sad. That bums me out. It does. But she really is all over the place. She does a striptease at Crazy Horse Cabaret in Paris on Valentine's Day. And then she writes an open letter to Barack Obama for the legalization of marijuana. Hmm. And then she is doing public service announcements for the National Sexual Violence Research, like Resource Center. She's like doing all she can. And um, she's in a million movies. I'm not going to list them all because it's pointless to list all the movies she's in but like there's a couple like she's in the superhero movie where like the the um one where it makes fun of all the superheroes she's in blonde and blonder she was on broadway in chicago wow was she roxy she was in no she played a different role in she might have been roxy i'd have to look back at my notes these are my notes but i didn't write it down so then she's on dancing with the stars she's on dancing with the stars all-star but I want to talk more about what she decided to do with her life. She is a lifelong vegetarian and now vegan. When she was living in France, she called herself a naughty vegan because every <laughs> now and then she would have a croissant, but she <laughs> never eats meat. She has been outspoken for PETA for years, mm. speaks out openly against seal hunting, gives out prizes for nonprofit organizations, protests against real fur. She was one of the first celebrities that was like really open, like do not wear real fur. And mm-hmm. as a model, that was a big deal yeah. to turn down fur. She posed nude in a store display for the I'd rather be naked than wear fur campaign. Mm. She's protested against KFC for their treatment of chickens. Um Good on you. Popeye's is better anyway. Honestly. <laughs> but then she also will be kind of controversial. There's this one bathing suit she wears in a PETA ad where it's like the cuts of meat on her boobs and her rib cage and her ass. Mm-hmm. She's like, we're just like them. And then they banned it in, in Quebec. Hmm. And she was like, oh, you guys think you're so edgy and you can't take 
oh, like a woman in a bikini that has meat slabs on it. Cute Lady Gaga. Like, calm down. Except that was actual meat. So that's probably anti vegan. <laughs> wasn't she wrapped in like real actual oh meat? lady gaga yes so yeah. pamela anderson wasn't no this was I a bathing suit sense. printed yeah. like me printed like me. yeah okay. but that's probably where somebody like lady gaga got the idea yeah. <laughs> like i mean that makes so much sense check the dates check them <laughs> um but she does a lot of like sexy ads about like cuddle with your dog don't beat it you know like Ooh, well, yeah like, against like yeah. violence against <laughs> animals but she's also like doing real shit. She mm-hmm. wrote to the prime minister of Canada and was like, there's a seal hunt every year. You have to cancel it. He like never there answers was a her. seal yeah. hunt? And then she like gets on camera wearing like baby seals on her shirts and like on her boobs and was like, don't kill the fucking seals. And then she and Putin form a relationship. Now. I, okay. She hates <laughs> Putin. Doesn't like Putin. However. No, tell me what you know. No, I don't know anything. I was just going to say, what? She doesn't like Putin's opinions, but he does the things she says for some reason. She writes him and she's like, hey, there's this boat going from Russia to Japan that has like thousands of whale fins on it. Stop it. Stop the boat. Don't let them deliver that meat. He goes, okay, stop. What? She writes him a letter and is like, Hey, um, I want to come and speak to everybody at the Kremlin about the animal rights in Russia. And he's like, sure, whatever. Comes over. She goes to the Kremlin twice and speaks to, like, the most powerful people in Russia. She writes him a letter and says, I really think you should ban the hunting of baby harp seals. And he goes, okay, now in Russia we don't ban baby harp seal hunting anymore. Wait, we do ban baby harp seal hunting. Right, we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) He banned it. Because of Pamela Anderson. Why are we not? Why isn't she the president of America? Why isn't she? (laughs) And I'm sure, like, obviously, like, you want to say, like, why can't she end the war in Ukraine? And obviously, I'm sure he's not listening to her about that. Right. But he will, like, listen to her about any animal rights issues. What? President Putin does what Pamela Anderson says. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? I don't understand that whatsoever. And for years, like she's been writing letters back and forth with him for like I like that it's years. also letters. Yeah, and they it's not letters. like <laughs> it's my not Vladimir Putin. Oh my god! Okay. I know, crazy, right? Okay, so she. This is the sixty minutes I watched. She was on sixty minutes Australia, and. It's interesting because they ask her a lot of questions, and this is where feminism comes into play. She got criticized a lot in the 90s when feminism was not as open. Mm -hmm. She um, was criticized for posing nude, and she said, I actually think it's empowering for me to pose nude. I never did anything I didn't want to do. I was in total charge. And she says that sometimes she thinks that feminism and feminists go too far in criticizing other people and that they can be a bore. <laughs> Which I mean, we agree here. We agree I on this show. Totally agree. Like we absolutely conform to the more sex positive view that feminism has taken in recent years. Yeah. And that like, I think it can be empowering what Pamela Anderson did, you know? like, And she says that she considers herself a feminist, but like didn't feel welcomed in the movement. Which is true. She if, wasn't at that time. If we had two names for this podcast, one would be the problem with pedestals and one, another would be you're not welcome in the feminist movement. Right. Because that's the other half of women that we cover as people who 
were feeling rejected by the traditional feminists. traditional feminists, you know, and it is very, very frustrating of like, it's not your time yet. Yeah. You know, and like, we don't want you to act like that as a powerful woman. We don't want your type, you know, when it's like, it should be for the advancement of all women. And we tend to be like, oh, but not like you, like you're bringing us down. And like, she's not perfect. No, of course not. And like the things I'm about to say might even be even worse, (laughs) but she is a powerful woman. Mm -hmm. And that's what feminism is. It's about making empowered choices. Like she's controlled the dictator of Russia. Yeah. (laughs) She's a powerful fucking woman. Yeah. No doubts about that. So one of the things that people really hate about her brand of feminism, which I don't totally disagree with. I don't even know how to present it because I struggle with it. Is that she was worried during the Me Too movement. She came out about her sexual abuse, mm-hmm. but she's very she was worried during the Me Too movement because she has two sons and she's worried about false accusations, which a lot of people are. Now, I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem is that we don't believe women and that men think they can get away with whatever they can get away with. Because she even later came out about Harvey Weinstein and was like, he ruined a lot of my time in Hollywood. He like wouldn't let me do certain shit. He ruined my life. So like she, she's willing to come out on her own, but I think She's formed such a mistrust with feminism that she thinks that other women coming out are lying. And I think that because she was treated so poorly by the feminist movement and by the popular culture movement for so long that she also actually believes that other women are lying. Yeah. And I don't know how to handle that. I feel sad about it because people Mm. attack her for being like, look, I think we're going too far. Like we need to give these men a chance, which I don't think is necessarily wrong because there are false accusations sometimes, but I also think that she's wrong. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. She's very wrong to like, this isn't the time for that. Yeah. I don't like, I don't even know how to handle it. Cause I've had a lot, like I don't have sons, so I don't know what it's like, but I've had a lot of my friends like say that about having sons. And I'm like, well, maybe just teach men not to rape people and we right. wouldn't have this problem. Right. Yeah. So I don't like it is we're at a weird fulcrum point, we'll say, <laughs> <laughs> of like where women are getting enough power to say something. Yeah. And now people are scared. But good. You should be scared. Yeah. To touch someone inappropriately. Yeah. Right. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> like, I don't even know how to handle it because I like I don't agree with anything she's saying. I just it's my job on this podcast to fight her point. Yeah. At this juncture. <laughs> so I'm uncomfortable with it. But that's who she is. And then she comes out with a book called Lust for Love, which is like an anti pornography campaign. OK. <laughs> she wrote okay. a book with a rabbi that oh. like. A rabbi. Her and a rabbi write a book together. Okay. Male rabbi. Called Lust for Love about how technology is taking away the personal interactions that you're supposed to have in relationships. So she is starting to feel like what is happening in the sex positive, porn positive movement, specifically on the internet where people don't have power over it you know what i mean like when she did it it was like an organization with power and you 
can print certain things and you can't print other things. But now on the internet, you can be like, I had, I had sex with this dog, like put it on air. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So she's like very uncomfortable with that, which I understand. Cause like there's, you know, like television shows on PBS, it used to be like they went through scrutiny. Anything that went on PBS, your kids could watch because it followed X, Y, Z. Now it's like if my kids watch YouTube, they can see whatever the fuck that teenager decided to put on that video. Mm-hmm. So she's very like, I don't know. I think it's kind of controversial in later life, whatever. Um, also, she's like really into the guy who founded WikiLeaks and is like fighting to have him brought back to the United what States. His name Julian Assange. Yeah, hmm. I think she may have had a relationship with him, and then he got like extradited. So I don't know okay. what's happening with that, but that's <laughs> current. She did in 2017 with The Rock and Zac Efron reprise her role in the new Baywatch movie. <laughs> she was again the amazing and forever CJ Parker of all of our hearts. So her recent love life, she dated a French soccer player, but um, that was over pretty quickly. And then in 2020, she married producer John Peters, who was a former boyfriend when she was a budding mot. A model but just 12 days later they announced their separation she later said they were never married um in 2021 she revealed that she had married her bodyguard um dan hayhurst on christmas eve but then their relationship was over by 2021 so like everything's happening pretty quick she is currently a u.s citizen and retains her Canadian citizenship. She became a U.S. citizen because she wanted to vote here, and she spends a lot of her time here, and she wanted to get her parents' medical treatment when they get older. Although she has lived both in Malibu and in France and traveled the world, she currently has a beautiful home that's been featured in magazines on Vancouver Island in Canada. Her move has so far been permanent, and when she moved to that house, she removed herself from social media with one last goodbye. She said, I'm done. I'm going to Canada. I'm going to live in my house and live with rescued animals on my property, and that's what I'm going to do in peace. And she sits around and reads books in front of her fireplace with these. Look up her house. It's fucking beautiful. (laughs) Um, so that's where she is right now. She's on Vancouver Island in a beautiful square house with glass on the whole front. She's still a foot from the beach that, but it's a cold beach, but she's still a foot from it. And that's her house. But better yet, she's come back as a style icon with the resurgence of nineties style. The TikTok (laughs) culture has taken to dressing like the famous Pam Anderson, Skinny brows, lip liner, statement hats, and lingerie over their outfits. Everybody has taken to tagging their photos. Hashtag PamCore. Oh, my God. PamCore. PamCore. And that's her story. She's like alone in a house in Canada, finally happy being herself. And the Gen Z is like, hashtag PamCore. We've fucking love Pamela Anderson. <laughs> Finally, she gets that the love she deserves. It's wild. I'm also just it's so fu- I know we're going to get to this in just the two of us, yes. but like this is not an important topic enough to co- cover it there, but like I feel like their stories end in such similar places like them on a lake alone in a giant mansion. <laughs> Look at her beautiful <gasps> house. 
right that's her house on vancouver island oh my god it's beautiful i don't even understand how pretty it is i love it i know but yeah i imagine these two starless just like i'm done with the outside world i'm living in my mansion on the water i didn't expect in a foreign country (laughs) for a story to have so many like that's a lot of twists and turns a lot of a, life, a lot of bullshit like yeah a life well lived but also like putting up with bullshit yeah yeah all right well now we need to talk about these two women in conversation together in a little segment we like to call just the two of us Whew. okay east coast versus west coast yeah east coast versus wet coast normal persons parents versus very wealthy we got a lot going on here there's so much childhood beauties both of them both of them but I feel like they had no adolescence, both of them, because Agreed. Pam obviously suffered from some very traumatic abuse in her childhood that made her grow up very quickly. And Una was left to her own devices for her whole teenage years, let loose in Manhattan with like no one caring about what she did. And I feel like both of them desperately wanted someone to care about what the fuck was happening to them right like somebody pay attention to me please pay the fuck attention to me and like i just think that both of them had this like from a very early age a desire for someone to care about them and where'd they both end up hollywood right oh my god what that's why i named the cocktail watch me like look at me please somebody look at me yep and they're in hollywood and there are they are both famous for being hot which we can't escape and there's so much more to them but they're defined by two things the fact that they are very very attractive that's always the first thing you hear about pam anderson and una and they are also defined by the men in their lives Mm. pam anderson's story was told almost from like the men she was with what happened, what the men did to her and like what was going on via the men in her life. And Una was the exact same way. Yeah. It's like how she affected the men and like they affected the men in their life in this very great way. Like, I don't know. I don't really know much about Motley Crue, but I know that I probably would not know who Tommy Lee was if it wasn't for Pam Anderson. No idea. I wouldn't care. I would not give a shit about him. (laughs) Kid Rock, I would know, but I also still don't care yeah like about him or his life yeah and you know they both moved to la and they both try they both were actresses they lived that la dream they lived the la dream and you know una was not a successful actress and i think some people question whether or not pamela was and i i think she was i mean she got multiple iconic roles on tv shows but again, I think that both of these women garner a kind of um, disrespect that we like to thrust upon women who, frankly, incur like a jealousy. Like we're talking about two beautiful women, two women who like, I'm never going to look like in my whole lifetime. I'm never going to inspire the the male gaze as they do, right. you know? And I think there's a part that's like okay so you didn't make it into hollywood but like you're still both rich and famous mm-hmm. you know and i think there's like a bitterness attached to both of these women yeah and I, I i think they're they're interesting because they are never satisfied with themselves 
both of them yes. had this like continual yearning mm-hmm. where like you can look at the world and be like every man wants to be with you mm-hmm. every woman wants to be you mm-hmm. and you're unhappy yes and i think that's why early on i compared her to kim kardashian i was reading this article earlier today about how happy she is with pete davidson because of the little things yeah because she didn't live with kanye when they were married they lived in separate states and i remember her coming out over like covid and being like i would go with my sister and her husband and work out every day and being like i'm so jealous that like you have somebody to spend your life with and i think Mm -hmm. both these women were yearning for that and i think una found it she Una did. She found it in Charlie Chaplin, and it's so unconventional to the yes. outside. We're like, wow, that's the wrong person for her. But it wasn't. Yeah. It and was like, the love of her life. And you would think, like, I think when people talk about, like, the Tommy and Pam story, it's like, Tommy was the perfect person for her. And it's like, actually, he wasn't. But, like, in a weird way, like, yeah, Charlie and Una, they had this love for the ages, even though we want to reject it we want to paint it in this bad light because he did marry 16 year olds he did do this time and time again sleep with women who are so much younger than than him and i i think it does point to a a thing where like there can be a stereotype about a person that can then lead to happiness and like there's a stereotype about charlie chaplin marrying younger girls and like being with younger girls But then he was just with one girl for the rest of his life. And I think, too, at some point we have to remember that, like, a younger girl at some point becomes a woman. Yeah. And, like, Una was at one point making her own decisions. Like, she did get married young. But she was already on her own for quite some time. And I do think that that is an important note that you're making. Because when we look at like Leighton Meester as Blake or whatever her name was, what was it? Uh, I said it earlier, Blair Waldorf Mm -hmm. in gossip girl. Like we don't think of her as a child. Well, and Blake lively is married to somebody 11 years older than her. Yeah. Emil Clooney is married to somebody like 20 years older than her, but we look at them as women. So we're okay with it. Right. And I'm absolutely not okay with somebody like poaching teenagers to get married. But I just think that, there is a point where you cross into womanhood where you are allowed to make those decisions and say, I do want to be with a more mature gentleman. Yeah. Well, and I think it's also, there's a very fine line between <laughs> that we draw between people like Pam and Una. And I, I think it's the difference between the fulcrum and the joke, the butt of the mm. joke. My God. Amazing point. We see Una because I think, most likely because she only married once and she was married to this guy, this very famous guy for a very long time. She did date other guys, but like, you know, she was never really seen as like a floozy. And we see her as like this fulcrum of history, this woman who inspired all of these famous men and was involved with them in some way and changed their lives. And we have a similar thing with Pam Anderson, but instead of being a fulcrum of history, she is the butt of a joke. Because we see her partners as jokes. No one thinks of Charlie Chaplin or J.D. Salinger or Orson Welles as jokes. Right. We think of them as very serious, very intelligent men. When it's like Kid Rock, Tommy Lee, they're all very wealthy men in their own right. Like they have made a career for themselves as much as 
we can consider it a joke. Like, you know, it's like, where do we draw the line between fulcrums and jokes? Yeah. And I think it's, I don't know. And, but I also don't think either of them were taking as seriously as they deserved because they were the it girls. Yeah. Una was the it girl of the forties. Pam was the it girl of the nineties. And you don't quite get fully taken seriously when you're the it girl. I mean, we've seen it time and time again. We mm-hmm. saw it for Zelda in the 20s. Mm-hmm. We saw it for Marilyn in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Like over and over again, that girl is just knocked off of the pedestal until she can't handle it anymore. And I'm actually pretty impressed that Pam Anderson, as much as I don't agree with a lot of her opinions, mm-hmm. I don't agree with, you know, especially recently, like a lot of the things she's said specifically about feminism and the Me Too movement. But I am proud of her for being like, no, I am going to get involved in politics. I yeah. am going to write to politicians and try and make my my ideas heard. Yeah, she's she's not letting people beat her down. No, for, for being a joke. She's like, fine, call me a joke. But then I'm going to show up at the Kremlin in a suit. <laughs> yeah. And like give a lecture like that's crazy. Yeah. Nobody's asking me to do that. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? I mean, also, nobody's asking me to be on Baywatch, but like, I can't, <laughs> you know, they're so different things. I yeah. just can't explain. It's so weird. Yeah. And I also think it's very fair then for them to have mixed feelings at, the, at later on in their life. Like, Pam Anderson is suddenly in this very like anti porn movement where like it's kind of confusing, like, but you were so proud earlier. And then you have Una being like, what the fuck did I do with my life? Mm-hmm. And. Uh, it's because people don't appreciate what they did mm-hmm. that now they feel ashamed of it almost. Yeah. And I think that we also need to give people breathing room to be like, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because when you're in the public eye, there is a lot that gets written about you. And I think it's interesting that like they're both writers too. Oh yeah. But the thing is, Pam got her, you know, uh, fictional books published and una burned all of her work right so pam's books aren't great (laughs) no but we'll never get as i don't know if we'll ever get a straight story because fucking life is messy like can you imagine trying to sit down and actually write the very truth of your relationship with your partner i would love i i was yearning for Pam's story from yeah. her this week. But I yeah. just don't have you it. You just don't have it. And I didn't have it from Una's. It's sad. Una's is completely from the perspective of men. But I think at some point, like, if you've been such a subject of male gaze after a while, you're like, what do I What do I even have to tell anymore? But it's yeah. like, no, we want to know who you are. But maybe yeah. they don't know at some point. Yeah. Which is upsetting. Mm. I loved it talking about these. Two oh, women. they had so much in common. I know. All right. Well, you ready to toast? I'm ready to toast. Okay. Allie, who would you like to toast this evening? I want to toast to ladies for which feminism has overlooked them. Oh, yes. I think it's important. I know you had a conversation with your mom recently about how, like, in the 70s, when she was choosing to stay at home and be a mom and wife that she felt very excluded by feminism. So like you and I with our very like girl power esque Mm -hmm. movement, like she didn't feel included in that. And that makes me really sad that there's a lot of women who are powerful regardless of their life choices that feel like 
they can't share like female power vibes because they've been excluded by a movement that's supposed to be inclusive. So, <laughs> so true. I want a vibe to that. Cheers to them. Cheers. I would like to obviously toast to the fulcrums of history. <laughs> I want to toast to those women who affect our world and we don't even know it. There's so many people who have never heard of Una O'Neill. I had never heard of her. And yet there is this straight line between like her and like the murder of John Lennon, which is so crazy, you know? And like, of course, like maybe that would have happened regardless. But when you think about her influence on influential people, she changed the world. Right. And I don't even know if she knew it really. Yeah. And so I want to toast those people who affect our world and have no idea. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. All right. What are you enjoying in pop culture this week? So, of course, I'm going to promo Adam Sandler's new movie, Hustler. If you watch... Hustle. Hustle. That's what I meant. <laughs> Hustler is a totally different thing. Hustle. Um, if you focus or follow me on my personal Instagram, then you know that our very dear friend, actor, Sidney Allen, who's been working for years. years, he's been in like small roles here and there in like all these movies, like is finally in a happy Madison production. <laughs> he's in it for like 30 seconds. But despite all that, the fact that my friend's in it and whatnot, Who's also a groomsman at my wedding, I'd like yeah. to say. I'm famous now because Walked he's me down the aisle. Excuse me. <laughs> um, it's also just a really great movie. Yeah. It's a, a great sports movie. And sports mm -hmm. movies are so empowering. Mm -hmm. And we all know Adam Sandler just loves basketball. So yes. it's really nice Via to his shorts. Oh, my gosh. And, like, that. I mean, when he was in um, The Longest Yard, oh, right? Like, I it's a football movie. movie. But he puts in the whole basketball scene. And apparently, you can, like, find him, like, just playing pickup basketball games, like, wherever. He loves it. Yeah. And I would, it's just nice to see him in his fifties, like really taking hold of his life. Not like he hasn't before, but yeah, it's cool. It's a good movie. Queen Latifah's in it. Mm. Um, Jamil White's in it. Like there's so many really, it's, it's a good movie about like an underdog becoming great in sports and who doesn't love a movie like that i love that all right hustle go hustle. see it see sydney allen it's on netflix <laughs> <friend>. now now <laughs> okay what about you i'm gonna promo show that case and i finished last night it's okay. called white lotus it's okay. on hbo max this show i was under the impression that it was kind of like you know because it's promote as like a bunch of wealthy people go to a hotel in Hawaii and things fall apart. Okay. I thought that there was some sort of like supernatural element. It, there is not. <laughs> it is just like these wealthy people go on vacation and make their lives so miserable themselves by expecting so much mm. from the staff and the experience and like whatever it's, it was different than I expected, but if you go into it thinking of it as like a class satire, then it is very interesting. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And it's only six episodes. Even better. And it, like the first couple episodes are like a little slow and then like halfway through it like really picks up and then you're like, 
what the fuck is going on in this hotel? And things get crazy. <laughs> um, so yeah, the white Lotus is really interesting. Not what I expected. So just go into it knowing that it's not like a sci-fi thriller. Okay, fine. <laughs> fine. That's fine. But yeah. It's very good. Um, yeah, but just stick through it. Cause the first couple episodes, you're like, why am I watching this? Mm. <laughs> but yeah, but it was good. So, all right. Find us everywhere. Please do. We're likable. We're lovable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you if can you follow want, us, you can friend us. And if you want more of this, you can join us on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. It helps pay for all this slow gin we're drinking. Yeah. Um, and it just supports the show and makes sure that Allie and I can keep hanging out every Thursday. Yeah. Because we, che- we see each other on Sundays, but that's not quite enough. It isn't. So, um, <laughs> and if you would, if a dollar a month is like, not gonna happen please just like give us some love on the apple podcast reviews Mm -hmm. that would be great you know if you even just want to go on and say hey they're okay that would be wonderful and we'll take a four star five star would pervert yes for sure yes um but yeah Join us on Cocktail t- Tipsy Tuesdays. We post the cocktail recipes. We play a game. You can guess which one of us made the cocktail that week. It's very fun. But most of all, we want you to never forget that well-behaved women never have chip nail polish. Oh, God. They never do. And they rarely make history. Goodbye. to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye